Gosh, that's a good bumper, isn't it? I don't know if you know this, but Christina's husband, Christian Cooper, actually makes these bumpers for us. And uh, he does a phenomenal job. I mean, what a talented guy. And the thing about him is that he really doesn't make these until about a day before the series because he knows I changed my mind so much. But he did a, this is a gem. Anyway, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, uh, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out, and particularly in a rainy day, like Adam said. That's exciting. We are in week two of this series that we are calling Preparing for People, a Holiday Survival Guide. And, and this is an important thing because the holidays are upon us. I cannot believe that Thanksgiving is next week. I mean, November has gone by so fast. So I don't know if you're cooking or what you're doing. We usually go to my folks' house in Naples. This year it's a different story because life is a little different. They're coming here. We're going to be ordering uh, Thanksgiving, which is going to be you know exciting, fresh market, I think we're doing. And I can't wait to eat until I hate myself. That's sort of what we do in our house. You don't eat until you're full. That's amateur. No, you eat until you hate yourself. So that's my Thursday coming on up. But Christmas is right around the corner, which means that all of us are going to be spending a lot more time with friends and coworkers, associates, neighbors, and most likely family. And depending on how those relationships are for you, the holiday season can be a little bit trying, a little bit challenging to say the least. And so the goal of this series is to find out how we can not only survive the next couple of weeks, but how can we potentially even thrive during the holidays and trying to find out if it's even possible to minister to the people who push our buttons the most. Last week, if you weren't here, kind of kicked off this series by talking about a group of folks known as the critical people in our lives. And um, the interesting thing about last week's message is that uh, what was funny is the amount of people afterwards that came to me and they go, we got to get a copy of that message. I got this needs to be meh. Like, can we get a tape? Do we do tapes anymore? Because I, I need, this needs to be mandatory viewing for our family before Thanksgiving. And so if you have some controlling people, sorry, some critical people in your lives, I would just challenge you to kind of go to our website, give it a listen anywhere you get your podcasts or on Facebook, we always have the video from the prior week. Today, as we kind of move away from the critical people, I want to kind of set our sights on a category of people who actually have the potential to do some real damage in our lives, particularly if, if we let them. So we got we to gotta start talking about controlling people. We're talking about those sort of controlling, manipulative people that uh, we all sort of deal with, sometimes even regularly. Now, I'll just say this. Unfortunately for some of you, and I don't know if this is your story here, if it's yours online, or if you're listening in the future, but for some of you, you've actually been really hurt by the controlling people in your life. And I don't know if it was someone who was in authority. I don't know if it was a parent maybe at some point in your life or if it was a spouse, but, but sometimes this controlling behavior can borderline on abuse. And if that is something that you have endured in your life, if that is something that, you're, that is still going on in your life, number one, I am so sorry that you've had to endure that. Um, if you feel comfortable, we would love to support you any way we can. If that's just, if you want to email me, john at soflochurch.com or grab any one of us, we would just love to be there for you with all that that's kind of going on. But the, but the reality is more frequently, the people that are sort of controlling in our lives are not malicious people. They're not. 
when you begin to kind of peel back the, the, the layers on controlling people, often you find that a lot of times they're just needy people. Controlling people often are just very insecure people, and many times it's really just a character flaw that they're dealing with. And we all have these folks in our lives. You know, we have friends who are controlling. We have family members or parents that are controlling. And we love these people. I mean, we really do love these people. But when that controlling behavior begins to rear its ugly head, it is just, ugh, it'll suck the life out of you. It's just exhausting. Now, before we kind of dive into how we can handle those controlling people and those particular relationships, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about the tools of the trade. What are some of these tools that, that controlling, manipulative people use to kind of get us to do what they want us to do? So one of the first things that controlling people often use is they love to use threats, okay? You might, like they might not come right out and, and threaten you, but they're going to make it known in some form or fashion that if you don't do what they want you to do, if you don't do what they say that you should be doing, there's going to be a problem, that, you know, and what that problem is going to be, they don't, we don't really know, but you know it's not going to be good. Maybe in your life, you, you're dating somebody, and, um, you know, this person is pressuring you sexually, uh, and, and whether it's implied or directly stated, it's one of these situations where it's you better put out or get out. And so we feel that sort of controlling, manipulative behavior. Maybe for you it's a boss. And this boss intimidates you. This boss sort of terrifies you. And he or she knows you need this job. And they just sort of hold this over your head like the sword of Damocles. Or maybe it's a spouse who is just always threatening you that they're going to leave. I mean, there are myriad examples that we could talk about as to the way these folks threaten us to get us to do the things that they want us to do. But controlling folks also use something else. They love to use guilt. Very effective tool. Re this is a good, I mean, let me, here's what I want to do. I want to throw a couple of these sort of guilt statements that these folks made just to make your skin crawl because, you know, this needs to be a cathartic experience for some of us. And, I, and if you're like me, you've heard these before in your life. Maybe you've heard something along the lines of this. You know, after all I've done for you, and you won't, after all I've done for you, and you won't do this for me, gosh, I see how it is. Wow, 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 wow. I'll remember this. No, 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 no. I'll remember this. I, after all I've done for you, and you won't do this for me. Here's a real work of art. This is a real beauty. How about this one? How could you call yourself a Christian? And you won't do this for me. I thought you were a Christian. This is a good one. I'm going to start using this one more. Because not only... Like, not only do you feel guilty for not doing the thing that they want you to do, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, now you're questioning your own salvation. Now you're like, wait, hold on a second. Am I a Christian? I, like, I thought I... Next week, we're going to talk much more about this one. We're going we're gonna to dive into how we can begin to handle what I'll call the overly needy people in our lives. The, the people that just always have something going on. It's always a drama. It's always a problem. They, they always need money. When I was thinking about this, I'm thinking about, you know, you adult parents with adult children, and it's just that kid. It's like, it's, it's always something. What is our responsibility as Christians when it comes to helping these folks? We're going to look into that last week. That's, a, that's an important one. I would encourage you not to miss it. Okay, one more, and we'll, we'll wrap up. And you are guaranteed Take this to the bank. You're guaranteed to hear this one 
probably at Thanksgiving, more likely at Christmas, and it's going to be from an older relative, and they're going to say something along the lines of, you know, you never call me anymore. <laughs> oh, don't you love this one? I want to be like, you know, the phone works both ways. You, if you, like, if you want to hear from me, pick up the phone and, you know, I could be dead for two weeks, and you would not, I could be rotting, cats could be eating my corpse, you would have no idea, you don't love me, you don't care. You hear this one, it sounds like. So, okay, how do we as Christians, you know, love those people who either intentionally or unintentionally try to control and manipulate us, and what can we do to break the cycle of this? So today what I want to do is I want to show you a really short little section of Scripture, an incident out of Jesus' life. It's like five lines long, really short, but there's a lot that we can pull out of it. And in this section, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and um, he's letting them know kind of what God's plan is for his life and what he's going to be doing. And then Peter famously steps in and tries to control Jesus. We're going to start in Matthew 16, uh, verse 21. So it begins. Pull it up here for them. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, just as an aside, as I'm reading this, you know, when you see the disciples so confused at, at, at you know, at the Friday that he was killed, you kind of go, yeah, he told you it was going to happen, like word for word. But anyway, so Jesus downloads this to his disciples. In other words, he's saying, this is who God has called me to be. You understand this? This is the will of God for my life, that I'm going to suffer many things, that I'm going to be killed, that I'm going to come back on the third day and raise the life. So this is what I'm going to be doing with my life. Peter hears this, and Peter has other ideas. It says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I just love the fact that he's rebuking Jesus. Now, notice that it says he took him aside. That is a hallmark behavior of someone who is a controlling person. They want to isolate you. They want to get you away from the group. They want to get you away from your family. They want to get you away from your friends because they know that they have a much better chance at manipulating you and controlling you when you are alone. So Peter pulls Jesus aside. Great, Jesus. Kind of puts his arm around him. I picture Peter being like a burly guy, Jesus being a little bit more diminutive in size, trying to strong arm him. And now he's going to impose his will on Jesus's life. So he takes him aside, rebukes him, and he goes, never, Lord. Uh-uh. No. Whatever you just said, this shall never happen to you. This is not what I want for your life, Jesus. This is not what I believe you should be doing with your life. I know better than you, so I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to be doing. How did Jesus respond to this? How did he react when, when, when Peter tried to control his life? Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. You're not interested in what God wants, but merely human concerns. Okay, so what do we see here? We got Jesus saying, here is God's plan for my life. Here is what God has called me to be. We have Peter saying, not so fast. Here is my plans for your life. Now, Jesus spots this tactic this control tactic from a mile away. He, he is not phased at all by Peter trying to manipulate him. And the reason he's not phased at all is because Jesus knows something. 
And what Jesus knows keeps him safe from the controlling power of other people. What we see here is that we need to know what God has called us to do. When someone tries to control your life, when someone tries to control our destiny, we have to be rock solid, crystal clear in knowing who God has called us to be and knowing what God has called us to do. Jesus was extremely clear as to who God has called him to be and who God has called him to do. He says things like this, for the son of man, that's what he calls himself, came to seek and save the lost. He would go on and tell us who he came for and who he did not come for. He says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. What Jesus understood is that there is power and there is protection in knowing what God has called you to do. Now, whenever we start talking about what God has called us to do, his sort of plan for our life, I think a lot of us start getting like nervous and jerky. I've mean, I, I got folks in this audience that I know for a fact this kind of conversation always makes them a little uncomfortable because when we think about what God's plan is for our life and what God has called us to do and, and called us to be, we always sort of think, well, it's got to be some huge grand plan. And, and you know, he's going to call me to be, you know, a missionary in Uganda or something, or he's going to call me to, to cure cancer. Maybe, maybe, not based on the footage I've seen of your life, okay? <laughs> Probably not, okay? Just going to be honest with you. Most times, and this kind of, this is good to know, but most times when, it, when, when we're talking about God's calling on our lives, most times God calling involves the people right around you. God, God has called you, husbands. God has called you to love your wife. That is his calling for you. Wives, God has called you to love your husbands. Parents out there, he has called you to raise your children, to love God and to love others. Students out there, he has called you to be the very best student you can be, whether it's eighth grade, 11th grade, college, wherever you are, that is his calling in your life. And when you know your calling, it is incredibly important because it provides clarity. When you know your calling, it gives you direction in life. It drives everything you do. It allows you to know, this is who I am in God. This is, this is what I am doing in this world. I'm going to love my husband. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going I'm to raise my kids this way. I'm going to study my butt off. And when you know this stuff, it gives you a powerful sense of confidence and peace. Let me tell you why it's so important to be rock solid, crystal clear on God's calling for your life. Because many of us are people pleasers. We want to please people. We want people to like us. We don't want people to be mad at us or angry with us. And when a controlling person steps into your life and says, you shouldn't do this, you should do that, that's hard to ignore when you're a people pleaser because we don't want them to be mad at us because we know from past experiences that if we don't do what this person says we should do, they're going to threaten us or they're going to guilt us or they're going to do something to control and manipulate us. So what do we end up doing? We do what they want us to do. And that's a problem. And let me tell you why. People-pleasing is a form of idolatry. 
Now that might rock your world right there. But it's a form of idolatry. Because what we are doing is we are wrongly putting other people's opinions of us above God's calling in our lives. This is why we have to be crystal clear on who God has called us to be and what he has called us to do because we all have people in our lives, friends, family, whoever, who have a very clear idea as to what they think we should be doing. As to what we should be doing with our lives, what we should be doing with our families, what we should be doing with our careers, and what we should be doing with our time. And they may love you dearly. And they may think they know what's best for you, but if what they're trying to do, make you do, goes against what God has called you to do, that's a problem. See, we want to be careful not to surrender the direction of our life to anyone other than God, and that's not easy. It's not easy to protect the direction of your life. It's particularly hard when you're dealing with a, a parent who's kind of in your business. When you have a parent who is controlling, when you have a parent who is manipulative, when you have a parent who's got a lot of ideas as to how you should be living, it just, it hits differently. Because it's hard to say no. Because we love them. Even as adult children, it's still difficult to say no to a parent. It's hard to say no because we know that Scripture says we're to honor our parents. But where do you draw the line? Let's talk about that. Because sometimes in these relationships we have with controlling folks, sometimes we need to put healthy boundaries in place. We got we to know when to draw a line in the sand. We got to know when to say, this is, this is not going to work for me anymore. This is exactly what Jesus did with Peter. So Jesus explains to them, okay, this is God's calling on my life. This is who he wants me to be. This is what I'm going to do. Peter then tries to exert his will on Jesus. And Jesus famously responds, get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty firm boundary he's just put in place. Try that one at Thanksgiving and see how that flies. Okay, Grandma, all right, that's enough. I like this shirt, you know, when dress fits fine. Leave me alone, get behind me. At some point, at some point, you've got to look at that one friend and you've got to go, look, 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 look. You can pout all you want, okay? You can stomp your feet. You can hang up the phone on me. You can follow, unfollow me on Instagram, whatever, okay? I'm still going to love you. But this controlling behavior of yours, it's not going to work anymore. So we've we got to make a change. We, we, we can't keep doing this anymore. It is not how God has called me to live. It's not how he called you to live. We've got to make a change. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you have to have that really tough conversation where it's like, look, I love you. Now, I would do everything for you, but this attitude that, that you've got, the, these, these, these threats that you're making, this is not biblical love. This is not how Christ has called us to live together as a, as a couple. So we're making a change. This has got to stop today. You know, when you start looking at these relationships in our lives, one of the things that you recognize is that our relationships are a combination 
of what we have created and also what we've allowed. Every relationship we have, whether it's our marriage, whether it's with our, 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 our siblings or, or a boss or coworkers, every single relationship in our life is some combination of what we have purposefully created or perhaps passively allowed. And the reason it is so vitally important to, to draw a line in the sand with these controlling people is because every controlling person has someone who allows their behavior to persist. That means we're not an innocent party in all of this. And so if that relationship that we have, whether it's with our parents or with a sibling or with a neighbor or with whomever, if it is not a God-honoring relationship, then we need to change what we accept from them. I love you, I, and I, I choose to believe that you love me, but this changes today. Now, word of warning. This conversation might not go so well. Right now you're thinking like, oh, this is really, you're right, you're sure, well, he doesn't. I'm not so naive as to think that conversation is going to go well. Because when you push back against the controlling person, ooh, they rear up. They double down, okay? They throw a fit. They'll try to manipulate you. They'll try to threaten you even more. They'll try to guilt you even more. Their head starts spinning. It is like throwing holy water on a demon. They don't like it when you try to tell them, no, we're not doing what you want me to do anymore. And that's not going to be easy for you to watch. Because not only are you going to begin feeling the heat from them, but you're going to see them hurting at some level. You're going to see them being anxious at some level because things are changing, dynamics are changing. And so you're going to have to lean on God. You're going to have to ask God to strengthen you in this moment. God, empower me. Empower me to put up healthy boundaries in my life. Help me to break this cycle. Let's shift gears just for a second. Because it is fun to talk about those people, right? We all got them in our lives, those control freaks. But, um, okay, what happens when you're the control freak? Now, I am not a control freak, okay? I do have what I would call expert opinions, and I've, I've been known to freely sort of dispense those on folks when they don't know what I know that they should be doing. Like, I was trying to think of, like a, you know, a one that I could share. Like, I have, I know exactly the proper way to load a dishwasher, okay? And I know how to do it, and I will impose my will upon you when you are not doing it properly, right? It's not just how I want it. It's just the way it's supposed to be done. Like, I can't begin to tell you how many times I've opened up the dishwasher, and it's like, what is going on in here? Have you never seen one of these machines? And like, when you have family who comes in town, which I have a lot of that, and they load the dishwasher, I'm assuming they're trying to do it to like help us out, but it is absolute chaos. Flat dish, bowl, fork. Huh? I'm not lying, like when I'm in the kitchen and I go like this, I open it up and I go, let me just show you how this is done. And I'm like, we're making eye contact and I'm picking their dish up. This goes here, this is a fork, this goes with the forks here. Does that make it awkward in the house? Yes. Can I help myself? No. We are, listen, you're laughing because you do this too. We are all control freaks at some level. We just, we're like, we, we just, 
we don't want to admit it. Husbands in the room. Come on. Don't you want your wife to do what you say? Yeah. Wives, don't you want your husband to do exactly what you say? Of course, we should. Parents, don't you want your children to do exactly what you want them to do? Yes, we all try to control the things around us. And the reason I think we do this, if we're being honest, is I think we like to play God. Deep down, if we're honest with ourselves, which we never are, but if we were really honest with ourselves, I think we believe that we make a better God than God does. And so we try to control, try to manipulate, try to strategize. But here's the problem. We don't make a good God. And the reason we don't make a good God is because we have no real power. We really don't. Because no matter how much guilt you throw someone's way, no matter how many times you threaten someone, you do not have the power to change somebody else. For as much as you try to be a helicopter dad or a helicopter mom, you do not have the power to control your child's future. Only God does. Only God has the ability to open doors and close doors to direct your child's future. I firmly believe that control is an illusion. It is. And when we finally recognize that we do not have the power to control, then and only then do we stop trying to be like God and we surrender to him. That's what Jesus said. Right after this conversation about God's will versus Peter's will, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And take up their cross, which was probably so confusing to them at that moment, and follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, you can't be your own God anymore. If you want to follow me, it's no longer about your will for your life. It's all about my will and your Heavenly Father's will for your life. From the moment you say yes to Christ, it is all about his will. Not my will, but yours. Why is this so important for us? Because if we let someone wrongly control us, or anytime we try to control somebody else, we're trying to play God. The only way to truly live, the only way to truly live is to surrender our will to his. And the only way to let others truly live is not to control them, but to entrust them to our Heavenly Father. What's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at this church, every week we throw this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So today I want to give you three short prayers that I think will help you take this message and run with it through Thanksgiving, Christmas, and hopefully for the rest of your life. First prayer is this, God, help me to know what you want me to do. Help me to know what you want me to do. And like I said, don't expect God to tell you he wants you to cure cancer. And don't expect to hear God say, I want you to go to Africa and be a missionary. You know, he might, probably not. I want you to pay attention. I want you to really, really pay attention to the burden that he puts on your heart. For me, I know 
that I am called to be the best husband that I can be. That's a calling that God has put on my particular life. I know I'm called to be the best dad now that I can be, raising my child up to, to love others and to love the Lord. And I know that I'm called to use the, whatever gifts and talents I might have to help you guys learn more about God. That's all I can do. And if anyone tries to get me to do something that distracts me from his calling on my life, I must say no. And that's not easy. But we've got to protect the direction of our life and what God has put on our lives. God, help me to know what you want me to do so that I can have confidence in my life and I can have peace in my life. Secondly, I want you to pray. God, reveal to me where I've surrendered control. This is a big one. God, have I surrendered the direction of my life to anyone other than you? God, have I let someone intentionally or unintentionally take me off course? God, have I chosen their will over your will? Show me, God. Convict me. Give me discernment in this area so that I can make a change. And then, Lord, empower me to make that change. This is where the rubber meets the road. God, help me to have those conversations, those tough ones that I know that I need to have. Give me the strength to say what needs to be said. And Lord, would you prepare that person's heart to receive it? Chances are, this holiday season, you will encounter someone who has at some level been a controlling force in your life. And if that is not a God-honoring relationship, it's time to make a change. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we could come together today and talk about a character flaw that is prevalent so much in this society and so much in the people that we love and are nearest and dearest to us, Lord. But not only can it drive us crazy, God, but it can, it can throw us off car course. It can do tremendous amount of damage in our lives. I pray that as we leave today, over the next coming days, weeks, months, and years, you would help every single one of us to spot that controlling behavior. Lord, you would give us the, the discernment to know exactly who you have called us to be, what you want us to do, that you would give us the strength to never hand over the reins of our life to anyone other than you. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name.